Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The following program contains adult content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. You stinking bastard. People tell me, hey, you're going to go die and go to hell. I'm not alone. Down for 911, where's your emergency? Oh, this is Sandy. I'm pretty one look. Talk to the road. What's the problem? Send the police. One in the chest, one in the head. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogerson. I was uh, branching out. That's when the cannibalism started, eating the heart and uh, the arm muscle. Oh, oh we're now Carl Williams. He's still coming down with this and just pulled it out of his backside. Carl Williams is a wobbly bottom little cher- cherub face, cherub face little boy who would do it, whose life would be. I'd harm someone if I might. Kill someone to be an enormous amount, of, uh, especially at first, uh, enormous amount of, of, of horror, guilt, remorse afterwards. But then that impulse to do it again would come back even stronger. In Sydney in the late 1940s, a short, bespeckled great grandmother named Caroline Grills became an unlikely serial killer. Ooh. Caroline loved making cakes, biscuits and cups of tea for her relatives and especially loved seeming like an angel by helping them when they were ill from the thallium she was poisoning them with. Yep, she was killing them softly with her carbs. Patty and Jimmy Knaff were cattle duffers, pony pinchers and general rabble rousers. They were also considered to be the last of the great Australian bushrangers, roaming the land fully armed and living in caves in country Queensland in the early 1900s. They would come undone due to the brutal murders of an innocent copper and a bullying station manager. The story of the Kneff brothers is one of adventure and tragedy, as well as being an intriguing murder mystery. Hi, I'm Barney Black. And I'm Tara Saraban. And this is Bloody Murder. We're a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser known crime stories from Australia. And indeed around the globe. Now, of course, this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous patrons. If you'd like to become a patron, uh, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com. So, Barney. Yes, Tara. I have something very important to tell you. Really? Yep. Well, I do believe, Barney, that it's time for you to get murdery. Paddy and Jimmy were sons of Irish-born James Kniff and his wife, Mary. James Kniff Sr. arrived in New South Wales in July 1863. He had 11 children oh. with wife, Mary, eight of whom survived. Um, they probably ate the other three. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I mean, who are we to judge? He worked as a bushman but turned to cattle duffing and horse stealing in the 1870s. 
Jimmy Senior was always in trouble with the law, having been charged ten times in his lifetime, but he was only ever found guilty twice, once in 1899 and again in 1902, both for which he received fines. Hey, baby, are you a parking ticket? Because you got fine written all over you. Oh, this story does have sexy Barney in it. Well, no, not really. <laughs> in 1884, Patty and Jimmy's mother, Mary Kniff, left the family, 21 years after arriving from Ireland. Perhaps she wanted to get away from the horny Jimmy Sr. so her womb would stop being used as a clown car. <laughs> I've never heard of better grounds for a separation. Jimmy would get up on himself if he could turn around quick enough. <laughs> Oh, hang on. So he would, like, totally fuck himself if he could spin fast enough. That's right. He so he's just spinning in circles trying to ream himself. Trying to root himself. Oh, That's nice. Right. That's hot. Oh, I'm going to try that later. Oh, it probably doesn't work. You're doing it me. now. Stop it. <laughs> it's not working. Patrick Paddy Kniff was born at Main Creek near Dungog, New South Wales, on September 28, 1863, the year the great bushranger Ben Hall died. Coincidence? I think not. Oh, so you're into reincarnation now. Oh, I think so, actually. <laughs> I read it wrong. Coincidence? I think so. <laughs> His brother, James Jimmy Kniff, was possibly born in 1869. Us, weren't we all? <laughs> we don't know exactly when, as his birth was not registered. His Irish da, a known hater of authorities, was said to mutter, I'll not give those fucking drag cunts the time of day. I'd rather shake in my hands and clap. Ooh, that'd be messy. <laughs> Splatter. <laughs> Both the brothers were well known as duffers. Now, you probably want to know what a duffer is. Yeah, look, I, I'm really not quite sure. <laughs> I, is it like a fluffer but for horses? <laughs> no. Oh, damn. It, it is one who alters the brand on cattle and steals them, as in a thief who duffs the cattle by diddling their brand. Ah, oh, well, it makes a lot of sense now. Mm. They also like to steal horses and listen to Smash Mouth. Oh, really? Yeah. Paddy and Jimmy Kniff first ran afoul of the law in 1887 when they entered a horse at the Charleville Races. After the first day's racing, they found they didn't have enough coin to settle their betting debts, so they stole three of the racehorses, which were to run the next day, and made off. Oh, what a caper. So, Tara, they led the police on a merry dance but were finally caught kipping in their camp. As one trooper tried to wake young Jimmy, he was said to mutter, Just five more minutes, I don't want to go to school. <laughs> then there was a struggle. Paddy was overpowered, but Jimmy made off on one of the racehorses, only to be knocked out of the saddle unconscious by a low-hanging limb of a tree. Ah, uh, really? Now, Tara, Jimmy, the younger brother... You'll like him. He was a tall, handsome man who probably would have been popular with the ladies if there were any around. Ah. He had a bush of black curly hair atop his head and a wispy moustache floating on his top lip. Did the lady horses and cattle like him? Oh, he was a dreamboat. Oh, well, that was... Jimmy was the hothead, quick to anger and fast with his fists. So mean, he could peel an orange in his pocket. What the living shit does that mean? Well, you know, his, his nails and stuff and he's gripping things in his pocket And he's or something. peeling shit in his pocket. <laughs> yes, peel. Then he just peels. Hey, I, this is... It's a pocket peel. Oh, my... Hey, Jimmy. Yeah, anger management. Bit of a pocket peeler. This is just the way the Irish speak. He was also lazy. If there was work in the bed, he'd lie on the floor. Oh, well, I mean, we're all guilty of that. Paddy, the older brother, was wizened and a bit rougher. 
His head was like a Medigliani painting, a long, lean face with piggy little eyes that were known to twinkle with the promise of hijinks and capers. So like you. Yeah. <laughs> he wore a full beard and sported a large pointy nose, so big he could smoke in the shower if he ever had a shower. Ah, oh, so there's a little bit stinky. Well, he's a bush boy, you know. They just have a swim in the creek and stuff. Yeah, and the creek, well, it's not clear water, is it? No, it's not. You can't see the eels well, when they, they bite you. Well, they also poo in it. Nobody poos in the fucking creek, dude. I do. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'm from the country and there wasn't a lot of creek pooing. But, you know. Well, it's a different time. <laughs> yeah, those few years make a lot of difference, I suppose. So, Tara, after things got a bit hot for them in New South Wales, the Kenef brothers came to Queensland with their da, Jimmy Senior. You know, the guy trying to fuck himself all the time. Oh, the guy that just spins in all these circles chasing yeah. his own bits. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. It would have been hard to ride a horse like that, though, wouldn't it? It would. I mean, you just, you need a spin saddle. <laughs> Is there such a thing? Well, if there isn't, there should be. Mm, good point. It was the early 1890s and they quickly became notorious for rambunctious horse buffoonery and cattle tomfoolery. <laughs> I feel like you put that in just to fuck up Cambo and he's not even <laughs> recording with us. Yes, Tara, duffing and thieving is what I'm talking about. In 1895, the brothers both received prison terms at St. Helena's Island in Moreton Bay. St. Helena's Island sounds nice, though. Sounds Doesn't it sound lovely. like the kind of place you get a massage and have a cocktail on the beach? Yeah, no, put those hot rocks on your back. Oh, uh, no, thank you. No, you don't like nah, that? Nah, give me the cold rocks or give me death. <laughs> After a couple of years in the clink, they settled in the Springshore district of Queensland, being joined later by their younger brothers, Tommy and John Boy. <laughs> Living by bushwork, they also raced horses and opened books at the local race meetings. Oh, it sounds like they read a lot. No, they, you know, betting and stuff. Ah, oh. it was a different time. They probably didn't read a lot, did they? No, probably not. Whilst continuing their nefarious ways, the Kenef family managed to lease a large cattle station called Ralph Block, which adjoined <laughs> William Collins's Carnarvon Station. Why was it called Ralph Block? Ah, I'm going back to the Ralph. I see you at the Ralph. Oh, yeah. Want to meet me at the Ralph? <laughs> that wasn't a good accent of any kind. It was fucking shit, you stupid limey cunt. No. <laughs> you know what it is? It's like when I run out of ideas, I swear. It's uh, just like seriously fuckity fuck. You couldn't say I'll meet you at the Ralph because the Ralph was huge. Ralph's quite well, large. Well, you could, but it wasn't very effective if you did no, so. No, no. So this was frontier land. There were no fences and these stations were huge tracts of wild, untamed land covering thousands of square miles. Sounds a bit like your pubic situation. Oh, that's not true. <laughs> really? Well, no, I've been trimming it. Okay. I'm going to take your word for it. Don't, no, don't, you, I don't need to see it. Thank you. Too late. Ah. With convicted cattle duffers, Thomas Stapleton, John and Richard Riley and others, they launched a reign of what was described as a mild terror. From their base on the Ralph. Oh, it was a rain of terror. What kind of rain? Oh, mild. A, oh, mi a mild terror. Oh, you know, it was terrifying. It was terrifying, but just, just a little bit. They got to stealing cattle from Carnarvon and other neighbouring stations. When neighbouring cattlemen protested, the government terminated the Kenef's lease of the Ralph block and established the Upper Warrego police station thereon. 
Oh, that'll fucking sock it to him, won't it? Yeah, so essentially they took their land and then built a police station in the middle of it to keep him out. <laughs> it was kind of genius. Look, there was a lot of thieving going on around there, mm-hmm. but it couldn't, there was no way all of it could be attributed to the Kenef brothers. Yeah, I mean, they weren't that prolific. They One re- of them was really lazy. Yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> and handsome. I mean, uh, the handsome, lazy guy wouldn't do much. Would you like to go Dauphin today, Patty? Oh, no, I couldn't be fucked. I'd rather just stay here and watch my dad try and fuck himself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, if that's what your dad's doing, why would you want to do anything else? Oh, look, he's running around in circles again. Look at that. (laughs) Get out the holes. (laughs) Anyway, this did not please the Surly Kenef brothers, and so they now assumed a more angry attitude, riding armed throughout the district. So, like, the guy who used to peel an orange in his pocket is now, like, so angry that he could probably peel a watermelon in his pocket, yeah? He probably could if he had Ooh, big pockets. Oh, his pants would get so wet. They moved their base across the dividing range to Lethbridge's pocket. They took up a nomadic life, Tara, living in caves and with the local indigenous tribes. It was at this time they also developed a special animosity towards the manager of the Carnarvon station, Albert Christian Delkey. <sighs> he was a bit of a bully. What did he do? Uh, he was just a prick. Really? Uh, Delkey and his men once cornered Paddy Kenef alone in a canyon and gave him the beating of his life. Yeah, but weren't they stealing cattle from this guy's station? Probably. So, like, you know, I mean, back in the day, that was probably a pretty suitable kind of course uh, of action. Oh, yeah, but, you know, they would have said, look, did you take my cows? Just give them back and we'll just call it square. Oh, okay. I you just know? feel like maybe you're being a bit anti-rancher now, Barney. Really? And you know, like, we have a big oh, rancher wow. audience. Well, station managers, come at me. Come at me, station managers. Come at me hard. Paddy, stout drinking panties in a twist now, Tara, Woo-hoo. swore revenge on Delkey. Now, Albert Delkey was from strict Prussian ancestry, born in 1875 at Pim Palmer outside Brisbane to Prussian immigrants Christian and Emily Delkey. At the age of 10, he rescued a drowning boy from the Narang River. A year later, he repeated the same rescue in the same spot, but this time saving his father. People probably shouldn't swim in that bit. After his father's death a year later... uh, Tara, can you guess how he died? A rollerblading accident. No, he drowned. Oh! Anyway, after his father tried to swim across the Narang River drunk... The Delkey family moved to Bean Lee, where Albert became an assistant to the Reverend Frederick Newton... At a Church of England. Good times. Four years later, Delkey began working for the Collins brothers on their land holdings. The Collins brothers sent Delkey to Carnarvon in 1899 to bring their run into order and stop the stinking cattle-stealing activities of those pesky Kenef brothers. Hmm. When more cattle disappeared from neighbouring properties, the Kenefs became the prime suspects. Yeah, scapegoats. But they, really? Well, they also held up a general store in Uliba. Oh, well, you know, it's not very nice. In March 1902, police at Roma took out a warrant against the brothers for stealing a pony. Give me back Princess Twilight Sparkle. (laughs) That's a pony, right? Mm. Best pony name ever. You see, Tara, it was the year after Federation and the authorities wanted to throw off the stink of lawlessness and our dirty convict past. (laughs) It still hasn't happened and we're in 2019. Yeah, I can smell it from here. Yeah, that's just... A police posse set out consisting of Albert Delkey, the manager of the Carnarvon station, Constable George Doyle, 
and Sam Johnson, an Aboriginal tracker. I actually come from the Doyle stock. Oh, do you? Yeah, yeah. Mostly Irish and Doyle was the way forward. Oh, well, that was, that's the name. Well, let me tell you about Constable George Doyle. Mm-hmm. He was born on April 28, 1869 at Mogill, near Brisbane, to a timber getter, George Doyle Sr. and his wife, Julia. He was the first of nine children. He was a good, honest copper, and in a time where huge moustaches and sideboards were plentiful, his moustache stood out above the rest as it was particularly large and magnificent. Oh, it sounds majestic. Uh, we'll put some pictures up. It sounds like a fecund moustache. It was. Aboriginal tracker Corporal Sam Johnson was born around 1877 near Charleville. Sam, a member of the Bidjara people, served for 23 years as a tracker with the Queensland Police. So, Tara, it is Easter Sunday 1902 when this trio was sent out to arrest Paddy and Jimmy. Oh, did they go on an Easter egg hunt too? Well, they did that in the morning. Oh, okay, this is the afternoon? Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. In what is the northern part of today's Carnarvon National Park in Queensland? Now, although mystery still surrounds the exact events of the day, the account of the sole survivor of the attack, Sam Johnson, turned out to be the key evidence for a later investigation. So Sam's story goes that after a confrontation with the Kenef brothers at Leftbridge's pocket, a dramatic horse chase through the bush began. Cue some fast-playing banjo. Oh, you didn't have to do that for me. It plays in my head on repeat. After lots of ducking and weaving and possibly some horses jumping over canyons and gorges... Oh, excitement. I know. Constable George Doyle and Albert Dalkey managed to capture Jimmy and get him off his horse. They got him off his horse. They got him off his horse. They got him off his horse. How'd they do that? Did they have, like, I don't know, oh, like... No. You know, one of those, uh, like a walking stick, and then you just, like, hook his neck and they then probably pull rode, him down? They probably rode next to him and gave him a really hard smack. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, that knocked him off his horse. Now, while oh, Sam... Look, all he needs is a low-hanging branch, and he'll just knock himself off his damn horse, won't he? <laughs> That's right. Five more minutes. <laughs> I want to go to school. While Sam is sent to fetch handcuffs from a nearby pack horse, he hears five shots, but he does not see what happens next. Next thing, he sees the Kenef brothers burst through the scrub, pointing guns at him. Sam scarpers and takes off into the bush and suddenly finds himself being pursued by the surly Kenef brothers. Ah, but Sam Johnson escapes. He later alerts nearby police at Mitchell. Two days later, Tara, a grim discovery is made. Mm-hmm. The latest Smash Mouth album. No, stop no. it. You always pick on one band. No. Oh, sorry. Also, have you ever actually listened to a Smash Mouth album? Maybe it's amazing. I don't think so. It could be. Two days later, a grim discovery is made. 125 kilograms or 275 pounds of charred and mutilated remains of Doyle and Dalkey are found stuffed in police horse pack saddles. The animals roaming aimlessly near where the men were last seen. Oh, they probably felt pretty horrible about the fact that they had, like, barbecued people in their saddlebags. Well, the saddle and syrup irons were stained with blood. A search located the campsite, showing considerable evidence that a gunfight had taken place. Yeah, lots of cards strewn everywhere. The guy playing piano is dead for sure. (laughs) That's not funny. It is a bit. (laughs) (laughs) The bodies of the two men were apparently cremated on a large flat rock in a creek bed nowadays known as the incineration site. Quite close to the campsite of Jimmy Kenef Sr., the brother's da. 
Buttons and pins and other items belonging to the two men were found amongst the charred remains. Okay, so bits of their uniforms and stuff. Yeah. One of Queensland's largest manhunts began. It didn't matter about the reward of a thousand pounds because Paddy and Jimmy were slippery suckers. They also had a large group of family and friends to help them and plenty of places to hide and lie low. But <laughs> their luck ran out three Their luck ran Nice uh, one, Jabber. Oh, uh, puberty. <laughs> their luck ran out. So But their luck ran out three months later on June 23, 1902, when the brothers were arrested without a fight near Mitchell at a place aptly called Arrest Creek. Though I think that was where it got its name from. I was going to say, why would they go there if they're trying not to be arrested? Yeah. I mean, come on. They should have went to Freedom Creek. Yeah, should have went to Got Away With It, Motherfucker Creek, yeah? I mean, that's the place to swim. <laughs> I love swimming there. <gasps> Chief Justice Sir Samuel Griffith presided over the trial after it was moved to Brisbane from country Queensland. It was a dubious decision, Tara, to move it, and the public did not like it, with many people siding with the Knefs. Oh, okay. You see, Tara, most jury trials in country Australia at that time acquitted the accused, even murder trials, as most people hated the popo and the court system. So, so they're okay to have murderers like living in their community as long as the cops don't win. That's right. Oh, wow. Okay. So they moved the trial to the city of Brisbane as the posh folk wanted to see the lads dangle from a rope. It was decided during the trial that Paddy fired the fatal shots whilst Jimmy was standing with Doyle and Delkey. But no one even saw this happen. Sounds a bit tenuous. Well, well, Sam saw them catch her, uh, Jimmy. Okay. And he would have been unarmed, so that makes sense. All right. Although he did not see the actual murders, Sam Johnson heard shooting and was called as the main witness. An ear witness, if you may. <laughs> Sam Johnson was actually the first Indigenous man to ever be called to give evidence in a death penalty trial against a white man. Well, it's about damn time, isn't it? Yeah. Found guilty of willful murder, both prisoners were sentenced to death, but execution was deferred pending an appeal. You see, even before the trial, there was much public sympathy for the Knefs. Oh, okay, because of all the cop-hating stuff. Well, this was partly because of public discontent with unemployment and a drought. That was oh, droughts get everyone annoyed. Ravaging the country Not, at the time. Yeah, mm. I hate the police when it doesn't rain. <laughs> it, well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. The appeal, financed by funds contributed by supporters, was dismissed by a full bench of the Supreme Court. The only well, dissenter was Mr Justice Real, who kept it real <laughs> and who was not convinced of Jimmy's guilt. Yeah, I mean, it's not as solid as the owl flew in and did it. Yeah. Sympathy for the Knefs was also greatly stimulated by the appearance of two ballads, the Knefs and then later the hanging of Paddy Knef. Oh. Little spoiler alert. Paddy, <laughs> Paddy, Paddy, Paddy was executed on January 12th, 1903 at Bogo Road Jail. The front page of the Brisbane Courier the following day read, the event of the season, John Hunter's great boot and shoe sale. Come and see the shoveling out of bargains and you will be amazed at the values. <laughs> so it didn't even make the front page. No, it really did. That, that, that was the ad on the front page. Oh, no, no, I mean like the case didn't make the front page. Oh, no, no, it was on the front page. <laughs> oh, okay. It also read, Yesterday morning the veil was drawn over the final scene of one of Queensland's greatest tragedies. The law had to be enforced and justice called for the body of Patrick Kenneff to make amends for a foul crime. The murder of Constable Doyle and Albert Delkey. 
The execution had been fixed for eight o'clock, and a few minutes before the hour, the officers of justice and those whose business it was to attend were ushered into A-Wing, where the scaffold stood erected at the west end. The sun streamed brightly through the narrow windows of the large hall, but it required more than nature to brighten the gloomy throng within. All right, I'm guessing that you're reading the newspaper article here. I am, it's this awesome. this is very flowery and embroidered for your beer-drinking mouth. <laughs> I'm going to take that as a compliment. Because it was one. At two minutes to eight, the prison bell clanged forth harshly twice. Clang, clang. That wasn't harsh. Clang, clang. Oh, yeah, definitely more harsh, yep. A grating noise was heard as a bolt shot back and the door swung open. The deathly procession came into view with the Reverend Father Baldwin in front offering up prayers. Oh, and what about thoughts? Was he offering thoughts with those prayers? No, just prayers. Oh, oh, I don't know if that's enough to save everyone. Uh, thoughts was a later thing. Ah, oh, there oh. weren't any thoughts back then. Okay. The condemned man came next, walking with a firm step. His arms were pinioned to his sides and he was surrounded by warders. The condemned man marched steadily up the stone steps and took his place over the trapdoor, attended by the hangman, who was disguised with a heavy beard and darkened spectacles. Well, like, he was wearing sunglasses and a fake beard. Yeah, like Santa. <laughs> when the pinioning had been completed, the priest stepped forward and gave the doomed man a look. The prisoner looked grateful. The chief warder uttered the significant words in a rather unsteady voice. If you have anything to say, say it now. I don't know, that was pretty steady. If you have anything to say, <laughs> say it now. That much more unsteady, yes. Looking straight ahead and in a steady and perfectly clear accent. Oh, everyone speaks steadily or unsteadily now, don't they? Pat, Patty Kenneth uttered, I have told you before twice I'm an innocent man, and I call God as my witness on the spot. I stand that I am innocent. I am innocent as the judge who sentenced me. I must thank the waters for their kindness towards me and to all well wishes I pay goodbye. So he was born in Australia, but he has quite an Irish accent. Yeah, he does. He, yeah, then lowered, he, he then lowered his voice and uttered his final words. May God have mercy on my soul. And did God? I don't know. The <laughs> oh, some kind of storyteller you are. <laughs> the rope was then adjusted around the prisoner's neck. He made no sign while the cap after some little difficulty, was drawn over his head. Ah, oh, a bit of a fathead, hey? <laughs> oh, fatheads, come at me. <laughs> come at me, fatheads. How do you know I don't have a fathead? Huh? Wow. <laughs> it's not small. The hangman then touched the lever, and in two minutes after the hour, the flooring opened, and the body swung below, a drop being two foot. Two foot? That's enough. That's yeah, not a lot. Not even a tremor was apparent. After a short pause, Dr. Dodds stepped forward and felt for a pulse. I won't get hung without a 10-foot drop, man. It's in my contract. Several minutes elapsed before he declared life to be extinct and a body was then lowered into a handsome cedar coffin, elaborately silver-mounted, which had been placed below the drop. You're elaborately silver-mounted. Thank you. The final deed was a signing of the certificate of the execution of death by those present. Good times. <laughs> Woo. Woo. Paddy Kenneth was buried in South Brisbane Cemetery with Catholic rites. Unusual for the time as murderers were normally buried in unmarked graves with, within prison walls. Was that because of the um, you know sympathy the public gave to him? Yeah, that's okay. right. Normally it'd be on unconsecrated land that they would be buried, you know, yeah. so they'd go to hell and all, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, really? Because you normally know so much about religion, as do we both. Oh, man. Research, mate. I do it. <laughs> Later, due to public pressure, the sentence of Jimmy Kenef was commuted to life imprisonment. Jimmy eventually served only 12 years. He was pardoned. Oh, wow. Hmm. The whole clusterfuck of the trial and execution of Paddy gave rise to great public controversy, which gave a strong impetus for the abolition of the capital punishment in Queensland. Twenty years later, in 1922, and spearheaded by the Kenef defence lawyer, J.T. Ryan, who was now um, Premier of Queensland, the death penalty was out. It was the first time the death penalty had been abolished in the English world. Go Queensland. I've always known that Queensland was very progressive like that. Yeah, that's right. Mm, Queensland's awesome. Very progressive. Jimmy lived out his life working on cattle stations in the northwest. He also fossicked in the ranges north of Charters Towers and died there of cancer on October 8th, 1940. He was buried at the Charters Towers Cemetery. Did you know Charters Towers used to be the second biggest city in Brisbane? It actually in, sounds in, like in some Queensland? kind of um, casino. Charters Towers, it's, come on down. It's because there was gold there. Ah. After his release from prison, he refused visitors and lived out his life alone. Ah, oh, sounds like me the past few months. Hmm. Some say he was the one who pulled the trigger. Some say it was um, the father because he was right next to the burn site. No. Who knows? He took the secret to his grave. He was 71. After the Kenef trial was over, Sam, the tracker, was transferred to Roma and again to Longreach due to threats against his life. Thought to have come from Tommy. Tommy uh, Kenef. And what about John Boy? I bet he was involved too. The yeah. little brothers are like going, yeah, ah, I'll we'll go get you. We'll come get at, you. Come we'll at get me. You. Sam Johnson died in Longreach during the Spanish flu epidemic in 1919. What a rollicking good caper that was. Yeah, they've got got a a monument about Sam. Apparently he was a a good bloke. Oh, he sounds very skilled. Very skilled bushman. Nice. So that's the Kenef brothers, the last of the bushrangers. Amazing. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, Tara, I believe it's time for you to get murdery. Caroline Grills was born to George and Mary Mickelson in Balmain, Sydney in 1888. She was a well-behaved child who enjoyed helping her mother out in the kitchen, despite the fact that she probably needed a stepladder to reach the stovetop as she only grew to be three foot nine inches tall. Well, that's pretty short. I mean, hobbits are taller than that, I think. Uh, Look, she might be tiny, but don't worry. She could end you. Really? Oh, yeah. Never underestimate anybody. Uh, Do tell. Mm Mm-hmm. What Caroline lacked in height, she made up for with her tremendous cooking skills. They say the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Look, I find it easier just to cut straight through the centre of the ribs, but each to their own. Caroline married Richard William Grills on April 22, 1908. At the time, she was the ripe old age of 20, so she was probably terrified she was going to become a horrible old spinster. Oh, you don't want to be left on the shelf. No. 
Caroline and Richard went on to have six children. Richard worked as a real estate agent, but he wasn't a very good one. Want to buy a house? No. Okay. (laughs) So the family struggled a little bit financially. Now, the dastardly tale I'm about to tell kicked off in 1947 when Caroline was 59 years old. At the time, Sydney was in the middle of a housing crisis. Entire families were often squashed into the same small room. Many of the houses were damp and dirty. Were they dank? So dank. I love dank. To make matters worse, the city was besieged by a rat plague. There were horror stories of rats the size of dogs biting the faces off sleeping children. Ah, the naughty children. That's what I tell my kids. Oh, yeah, it never happened to good kids, just bad kids. Yeah, if they're bad, yeah, that's what happens. Yep, faces bitten off by rats the size of dogs. The general consensus on the best way to combat the rats at the time was to poison them with thallium. The most popular brand was named Thalrat for some reason, and it was sold at corner stores and chemists. It killed the rats that ate the bait and also rats that ate the corpse of a poisoned comrade. Suck it, cannibal rats. (laughs) Thalrat was odourless and tasteless and became the murder and suicide poison du jour. One gram of it in baked goods or mixed into a cuppa could kill someone within two weeks. Pretty lethal. Thallium worked by attacking several different systems at once, resulting in loss of hair and speech, pain and loss of movement in the legs, insanity and eventually death. Ah, like watching young Sheldon. (laughs) It's exactly like watching that. By the late 1940s, Caroline, who was called Auntie Carrie by her extended family, was a great-grandmother who loved nothing more than visiting relatives and bringing her homemade cakes, slices and biscuits to serve them. These would, of course, be washed down with endless cups of tea. Um, I only ended up having one grandparent that I met, and by the time I met her, she was mostly into brandy and Sarah packs, so... This isn't a familiar tale to me. Really? Oh, my my nana liked to cook uh, pavlovas. Lots of them. Oh, pav. Uh, Well, any time's a good time for pav. Well, that's right. Especially in the middle of summer. Yeah? They're quite cool. (laughs) And they had peaches on them sometimes. Sometimes strawberries. Yum. Yeah, those ones with fish on them that rot in the sun. I hear they're terrible. (laughs) Yeah, the fish pavlova. They're they're as bad as we are. (laughs) When her father died in 1947, he left Caroline the family home in Gladesville in his will. But there was a catch. It was haunted? Oh, probably. But no, um, the actual catch was that her stepmother, Christina, had been given lifetime tenancy in the house as part of the will. So Caroline couldn't move in until after she'd died. Unfortunately for Caroline, Christina was a robust 87-year-old woman with the constitution of an ox, and she wasn't planning on pushing up the daisies anytime soon. Ah, she worked out, right? Oh, she lifted a lot of weight. Pumped iron. Ah, nice. All the iron. Voicing her concerns about the aged Christina living alone, Caroline would visit her on the pretext of being a caring stepdaughter and bring her fish and baked goods, all made to a secret recipe with lashings of thalrat. Soon Christina fell ill, complaining that she suffered from a tingling feeling in her feet and the muscles of her legs. Her hair fell out and she pretty much lost her mind. Ah, uh, she'd been watching The Bachelor. Ah, uh, well, I'm that's gonna, what happens to me. I'm going to beat up all the TV shows. <laughs> Apparently. Very anachronistic of you. It got so bad that she actually lost the ability to walk. Uh. But at least she had kind and devoted Caroline there to look after her. I mean, 
What a nice, pious lady, everybody thought, as Caroline spooned poison food into her stepmother's mouth. Despite, or more likely because of, the tender loving care delivered by Caroline, 87-year-old Christina ended up dying. But because of her age, doctors just assumed that her cause of death was natural. Well, the house is haunted now, that's for sure. Yeah, if it wasn't before, it certainly is now. Caroline and her husband Richard soon moved into the possibly haunted family home in Gladesville, which was a hell of a lot nicer than the place they used to live. Less rats. Uh, Yeah, a lot less rats, (laughs) not less relatives. But there were things that Caroline still wanted. Nice, fancy things, like a holiday house in the Blue Mountains outside of Sydney. Oh, that sounds lovely, actually. Yeah, I would, oh. I would like that too. Funnily enough, a close family friend, 84-year-old Angelina Thomas, had said on a number of occasions that she planned to leave her lovely house in the Blue Mountains to Caroline and Richard in her will. Caroline heated up the oven and got out the Thalrat. Cup of poison tea, Angelina, to wash down your rat poison cake with? Oh, yes, that would be delightful. Angelina didn't stand a chance and was soon dead, and Caroline had a lovely new house. But she still wasn't satisfied. Yeah, I want more. Her favourite pastime was to tend to those around her who were sick, but everyone was in good health. Whatever would Caroline do? Mm, poison them? No. That's not absurd. No, look, if Sorry. you don't know how the story is going to go, I mean, maybe don't actually weigh in. Spoiler alert. Um. <laughs> 67-year-old John Lundgren was Richard's brother-in-law who went away with him and Caroline on a nice seaside holiday. Dolph Lundgren, <clears throat> did you yes, say? Yes, Dolph Lundgren. It was to be his last. The R&R turned tragic when John died suddenly on the trip. Soon afterwards, Caroline's sister-in-law, 60-year-old Marianne Mickleham, developed a similar illness. Like John, all of her hair fell out and she also went blind. Oh, awful. Young Sheldon will get us all in the end. <laughs> Despite the possibility that these illnesses could be highly contagious, noble Caroline insisted on taking care of each family member as their conditions worsened, without a thought of her own personal safety. Oh. She's amazing, isn't she? she the really woman is. is a saint. The woman was a saint. She even spoon fed homemade soups and sponge cakes of doom to Marianne in an effort to keep her strength up. John Lundgren's widow Evelyn grew concerned when she soon began to exhibit the same symptoms as her husband had shortly before his death. Yet again, brave and virtuous Caroline was there to look after her and ensure that she had plenty to eat and lots of soothing cups of tea. Evelyn eventually became so sick that she was hospitalised. Caroline went around muttering to others that she didn't think Evelyn would live much longer because she was psychic like that. When Marianne's daughter remarked to Caroline that it was strange that Evelyn was experiencing hair loss and blindness like her mother had, Caroline replied, No, they all go like that. Oh, yeah, it's quite common. When you're poisoning them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, once in the hospital, Evelyn's condition improved dramatically. But Evelyn's daughter Christine and son-in-law John Downey's health had taken a bit of a turn for the worst. What is it with all of the extended family of Caroline coming down with this strange illness? Ah, she wants her stuff. 
One day in October 1952, tram driver John was reading the local newspaper when he came across a story about poisonings. The people in the article had exhibited the same symptoms as those close to Caroline. John being a bit of a Sherlock Holmes fan and an amateur sleuth became suspicious. So when Auntie Carrie came around, he watched her closely. John said that on April 20th, 1953, he came home for lunch and found Caroline there with his wife Christine and his mother-in-law Evelyn. John said that when Caroline was bringing in the tea, he heard her pause and looking up, he saw her take something from the pocket of her dress and drop it into the cup of tea she was carrying. Oh, possibly some more sugar, maybe? Well, then she brought the tea into the dining room and placed it in front of Evelyn saying, This is yours, Eva, with a caring smile. She might emit an odour of talcum powder, but it doesn't mean she will not destroy you. John said he quickly drank his tea. When Evelyn had drunk about a quarter of hers, he grabbed the cup and said, I will warm your tea for you, Mum. Because his mother-in-law mum. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. I know. It's kind of what they did back in the day. Yeah, I guess. What do we call them these days? Ah, uh, Just cunts, I guess. <laughs> there jo- you go, tit willow. <laughs> Here you go, sugar tits. <laughs> John took the cup into the kitchen where he emptied the tea into an old cup and pushed it behind the washing up dish. After lunch, he emptied the contents into a clean jam jar and later handed it to Detective Sergeant Ferguson of the CIB. John said that a week later, he noticed Evelyn's hair falling out when she combed it. The tests on the cup of tea came back positive for thallium. In May 1953, after some tests were done on Evelyn and Christina, the assistant medical superintendent said that the pathological records uh, showed the presence of thallium for both of them. Later that month, biscuits and chocolates given to Evelyn by Caroline were handed in to the police and tested positive for thallium as well. It's almost like mm, a theme here. When the police went to Caroline's house and told her that they were going to arrest her for the murder of her stepmother, she simply replied, Oh, all right. When they informed her that they suspected she also murdered Angelina Mickelson, she replied, Oh, well, I suppose you have to suspect somebody. Yeah, she's got a point. Yeah, I mean, they do. It's their job. When the detectives asked Caroline if she had any thallium in the house, she said that she didn't. But Detective Sergeant Ferguson said that he and Detective Cra had noticed some thallium in a sideboard beside some chocolates. When they said to Caroline that it seemed dangerous to have the thallium so close to the chocolates, she replied, Oh, they're all right. Have some. So what do you think the policeman did, Barney? Well, you wouldn't think they would have some. Did oh, they have some? they had some. When you're searching a poisoning suspect's home for evidence, of course you'd eat the chocolates that they offer you. Do you not know how police work works? Well, I, apparently I don't. No, no. Terrible cop you'd make. When officers tested the pocket of the dress that she'd been wearing during the tea poisoning incident and found traces of thallium, Caroline said with a giggle, that's funny, I didn't think they would. And when investigators exhumed several bodies of Caroline's fallen relatives, they found traces of thallium in two of them. When Detective Sergeant Don Ferguson broke the news, Caroline simply replied, Oh, fancy that! (laughs) 
Other potential victims had been cremated and could not be tested for poison. But at an inquest, witnesses recalled Caroline bringing them drinks and how eager she was to bring everybody food and cups of tea. Oh, that does sound evil. Mm, Yeah, I'm suspicious. Uh I don't like tea much. Why do you keep offering it to me? That's right. The coroner found Caroline Grills responsible for several deaths from feloniously and maliciously administered thallium poison. Well, he did say feloniously. And maliciously. Oh, well, there you go. She's guilty. In May 1953, she was charged with four counts of murder and three counts of attempted murder. Caroline tried to get the heat off herself by saying that Marianne Mickelson had told her that her beastly daughters were trying to kill her, but nobody was buying it, so she just concentrated on acting weird instead. How so? Oh, you'll see. You'll see. While police believe they had a strong circumstantial case to convict Caroline, they only proceeded with the charge of attempted murder for Evelyn Lundberg. Caroline was 65 years old by now, so they figured one successful charge would be enough to result in a life sentence for her. More than 50 people, mostly women, crowded the small public gallery of the courthouse because, you know what, chicks have always been into true crime. That's true. Mm-hmm. Crime. The press had a field day with this case. This seemingly sweet little old lady probably looked less like a murder suspect than pretty much anyone in history. She was wearing a beautiful little court outfit of a dove grey frock, a black veiled hat, cream gloves, pearl earrings, and a single strand pearl necklace. Subtle. Dignified. Mm. I hear that you prefer a triple strand pearl necklace, Barney. Oh, that's only for special occasions if the yeah. Queen visits, but um, mm. I'm a double strand every day. <laughs> yes. Now, um, in terms of that acting weird thing, Caroline actually proclaimed to reporters at one point when they asked her how the trial was going, she said, It's the fun of the world. It's the fun of the world. Yeah, she liked it so much she said it twice. She, uh, she, yeah, it was so nice she said it twice. Crown Prosecutor Mick Rooney QC, Mickey Rooney in well, his other role. Well, he was pretty popular in that day. I know. In the day I in the 50s. still don't know why. He alleged that Caroline was a killer who poisoned for sport, for fun, for the kicks she got out of it, for the hell of it, for the thrill that she and she alone in the world knew the cause of the victim's suffering. He had a way with words. Caroline claimed that she'd always been friends and pals with her sister-in-law, Evelyn Lundberg. But the blind and unwell Evelyn gave compelling testimony that though she did not dislike or like Caroline, she knew that Caroline did not like her. Evelyn could have been a great politician. Yeah. What does that even mean? It means that uh, she's neutral on Caroline. She's like Switzerland, but Caroline doesn't like her. Well, and that's probably why she poisoned her ass. Well, she talks funny. I don't like her too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Maintaining her innocence throughout the trial, Caroline claimed that detectives pressured her relatives into saying incriminating things about her. Also, during the trial, she smiled constantly and burst into fits of laughter, much to the horror of her defence team, who kept telling her to stop it. They were like, you're on trial for murder. Try to think of something sad. (laughs) (laughs) Once all the evidence had been heard, the jury took just 12 minutes to find Caroline guilty. 12 minutes? Mm -hmm. That's like nothing. They didn't even get to have lunch. 
Caroline Grills was convicted on October 15, 1953 and sentenced to death, but her sentence was later changed to life in prison. Soon afterwards, thallium was banned from sale. During 1952 and 1953, it had accounted for more than 100 poisonings and 10 deaths in Sydney. And that was mostly just what Caroline did. Yeah, that sounds like pretty much everything to Caroline Yeah, did. I mean, she's, she's the reason sh- why the rat plague continued. Yeah, well, maybe they should have just banned her from buying it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if she could have got it in Long Bay Jail. Caroline acted as a maternal figure to the other inmates in Long Bay, and they actually nicknamed her Auntie Thally after the Thal rat that she'd used. I don't know what you reckon there, but I'm saying that is Aussie ass. Oh, Auntie Thally. Oh, Auntie Thally. You're a card. Yeah, could you make us a cup of tea? No, 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 no. No, uh, no. Uh, uh, no I'll make my own. Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good, thanks. I don't even drink uh. or eat anymore. Caroline died of peritonitis on October 6, 1960, after only six and a half years in prison. So they were right not to bother charging her with everything else because, you know. She didn't live long enough to. Nah. Yeah. But mm. um, she is one of the most unlikely seeming serial killers that I've ever heard of. Yeah. 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 And now I'm suspicious of like lovely little old ladies. Yeah, creepy, creepy old ladies. No, they're not creepy. And in fact, most of them are just yeah. brilliant. And I particularly like it when they, you know, have, have a little bit of, um, when they have a little bit of Bailey's Irish cream and get a little bit cheeky. <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> really? Yeah. But yeah. Um, I'm also a little bit afraid. Yeah. Now, before we commence with Aussie Az, we'd like to do a little bit of listener feedback. Robert Horton posted, I asked Siri why I'm still single and the bitch turned on the front camera. Oh, God, gets me every time. Gun face. Oh, every time I'm just mortified. (laughs) Uh, (sighs) Nicola Everson asked an important question. Mm -hmm. Have you chosen a picture of yourself to use in the event you disappear? As a mum of kids and a dog... She's not a dog. She's a mum of a dog as well. I rarely, I'm rarely the one being photographed. Yeah, I mostly take pictures of the dog. I don't have any kids. Um, I take pictures of your kids. That's true. Um, I have a good one in mind for you. Remember when you were wearing that bikini top and you had the blonde wig on and sunglasses? I did look particularly hot. Yeah, you're looking pretty damn cool. Pretty, pretty damn you reckon fine. you'd cool? You'd um, do you reckon you'd pick that one? Yes. Yeah, I have a list of 10 photos I will never use, but um, apart from that, I don't know, really. Yeah, right. So you've done the don't use them list, and (laughs) you haven't even told me what they are. How am I supposed to control this stuff when you go missing? By the way, would you like a piece of cake and a nice cup of tea? (laughs) Not from you. (laughs) Dean Thompson said, if unicorns existed, they would probably be Australian, and that horn would be highly venomous, and it would Mm. kill all the tourists with it. True that. That's probably true. Mm-hmm. Michael Lucy shared, It's strange to work in a hospital. You know, in a room there's a father holding his son for the first time. In another room there's a son holding his father for the last time. And then in another room there's a guy with a remote control stuck up his ass. It's the circle of life. Oh, it's so beautiful it's though. Beautiful. Hauntingly beautiful, don't you think? Thank you, Michael. So, it's that time of the year again when voting is open in the Australian Podcast Awards. If you'd like to vote for Bloody Murder... Which we would like you to do, because right now we're getting our asses kicked kind of hard. We kind of are. So just go to the AustralianPodcastAwards.com, click on the vote button in the top right corner, and then search for Bloody Murder. 
It's really easy. It is really easy. It only takes a minute or two and we would love to have your vote. Also, you get 10 of them. So, you know, if you wanted to know what to do with the others, our mate Cambo's in there. Yeah. Mall. Yeah, that's right. Good nightmare. There's a, there's a few of us. In fact, all of the current um, independent true crime category are us and our mates. <laughs> so, yeah, um, we would love your vote. If you had a second, that'd be really nice. So that's AustralianPodcastAwards.com. Click on the vote button in the top right-hand corner and then search for Bloody Murder. If you didn't quite catch that, I'll put those details in the notes of this episode. Absolutely. Now, Tara, I have a question for you. Mm, no, I'm done with questions for the day. What about a statement? I'll take a statement, but no more questions. All right. What the fuck is Aussie as? Oh, so with a full stop at the end? No yeah. Questions. Well, I mean, I don't need to answer if it's rhetorical. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Aussie as are tales of criminal stupidity with a quintessentially Australian flavour. Would you like to hear one, Barney? I would. Most people don't consider Melbourne's Burke Street Mall the most romantic place on earth despite the fact that it has a subway restaurant and an endless supply of buskers. And a really large purse. There's a sculpture of a large purse. Yeah, it's a little bit vulvic, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, surely vulvic's a word if phallic's a word. Yeah. But recently, the siren song of passing trams and amateur versions of Stairway to Heaven sufficiently enchanted an amorous couple who were photographed having sex a few metres from the Maya storefront in full view of everybody with just like a flimsy sheet covering their nasty business. Saucy. A Reddit user shared the picture of the man and a woman absolutely going at it, hammer and tongs in the fading light of day. Passers-by can be seen trying to ignore the couple or surreptitiously having a bit of a perv. Yeah. Victoria police officers were called to the scene at around 7.55pm after receiving calls about a couple acting in an indecent manner. Officers arrested a 27-year-old man and 36-year-old woman at the scene. They even cuffed them, probably so they'd have trouble continuing once they put them in the back of the paddy wagon. Were they fairy handcuffs? Mm, No. Now, if you think the middle of Burke Street Mall is romantic, the back of a paddy wagon probably seems like a honeymoon suite at Niagara Falls, right? I mean, they'd want to get up to it, but they're handcuffed. There are ways, guys. There are ways. The pantless duo will be charged with behaving in an offensive manner in a public space for a sexual, uh, no, (laughs) for the purposes of Tara reading the fucking sentence wrong. Get your shit together, you oversized fucking tool. (laughs) The pantless duo will be charged with behaving in an offensive manner in a public space and for sexual exposure. A Victoria Police spokesperson said... Now, this is not the only time that unexpected nudity has been observed in Burke Street Mall. In 2006, a man was arrested after dribbling a soccer ball down the middle of the mall wearing nothing but a little headband. Witty commentators on Reddit had a field day with this sexy, sexy story. One quipped, to be fair, the Maya sale can get pretty exciting, while another commented... Burke Street Mall, more like Boink Street Mall. And a third said, Melbourne, the world's most fuckable city. Three years running now, I believe. Oh, 
Congratulations. When somebody asked what the punishment for having sex in public was, the best answer was definitely having a picture of yourself having sex in public posted on Reddit. Yeah, that picture was everywhere. Oh, it really was everywhere. Oh. Um, so, yeah, that was that was Aussie as. Thank you so much to Leanne Coserato for bringing that to my attention. Thanks for listening and thanks to our patrons. If you'd like to support us, visit our website. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com. Or if you just want to buy us a drink, there's a PayPal donate button there too because we're very thirsty. Mm, very. I've been Barney Black. And I've been Tara Saraban. And this is Bloody Murder. Please don't forget to review us on iTunes or our Facebook page. And of course, rate and subscribe. It really helps us. You can follow us on Twitter at Bloody Murder Pod and on Instagram at Bloody underscore Murder underscore Podcast. We also have a Facebook group and page and some Snapchat action. Yeah. Check out our website, Bloody Murder Podcast, for news, galleries, more episodes and merchandise. Yeah, I believe if you're a patron now, there's if you're looking for our early episodes, we've actually chucked the first 17 behind the paywall because reasons. Because they're so good, not everyone should hear them. That's Only right. the special people. <laughs> um, we also have a whole bunch of other episodes that we've made just for patrons and we're going to do another one next week. We are. So thanks for listening and we'll be back soon. Goodbye and adios. And keep kicking against the pricks. And vote bloody murder. Vote one bloody murder. Do it, please. 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 We'll be your best friend for like a little while. A little while. Yeah. Like, you guys are sexy. Vote for us. Yeah? You know, you are looking very hot right now. You know what could make you look even hotter. Do you know how sexy you look after you voted? I do because I voted recently and goddamn, I was just chasing myself around the room trying to get some uh. from me, like that guy in the story. They had, they had the intercom on in the room and they kept lying that it wasn't on and they were using sonic pressure on my head since 1997. Oh, uh, like Jenny Senior. Yeah, just spinning around. Spinning around Didn't trying to fuck Didn't manage himself. to fuck myself. I fucked myself up because I fell over, but uh, I didn't get any sexy thing action are. from that at all. Hey, speaking of horny, while you were reading your story, mm. I got a bit You bored. got a bit horny because no. I was talking about old ladies who murder their families. Look, you know what? I was Look, truth be told, and I don't like to get too sexy because we get terrible fan mail, but I was a little bit turned on too. Well, actually, I, I, I was thinking, has anyone ever had sex in space? So I was looking that up on my phone. I saw you looking that up and I was like, dude, seriously, of course they have. Why did we go to space well, unless we wanted to bang in space? Well, the Russians deny it. NASA deny it. We but, will not have sex in space. But there is some leaked reports that they have done some experimentations and sex. Oh, Russian Tara has done uh, the Kama Sutra a, in space. And apparently NASA tried 14 different positions. Only three worked. I mean, the other positions would have worked, but you need some kind of like robot hand to push your ass or something because, you know, zero Gs. A couple of positions work in space. Um, yeah. Russia has technology to make every position work well, in possibly, space. Well, possibly, yeah. Anyway, look it up. It's interesting. <laughs> I mean, you know, we've got we to know this stuff if we're going to do long trips to Mars. I'm not doing any of those. It might be generational, you know. You have to make babies. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm not, no, I'm not doing that. Either. Oh, you just want to bang just to, to relieve the stress? Is there a way to bang yourself better in space? Well, this, this is the question.
Oh, oh, I would be interested for masturbatory purposes. Oh, God, this is like Poontang no, all over oh, again. Oh, oh, it's hey, still the year of Poontang, let, everyone. Let me... Oh, 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 thank God for that. Yeah, let whole me, year, 2019, let year me of Poontang. Ta- let me change the subject because I've been working on a children's book. Really? Is it called Barney Black's Stupid f- Facts? It's called Twan's Day Smiggins and the Twerd Nurkler. Oh, God. Is Do you it want to another, hear about it? Is it another weird porn fan fiction about octopuses? No, it's not Minecraft erotic fiction. About um, octopuses. About octopuses. Okay. Not this time. Okay. Oh, well, this is new. Like, you've really had that genre going for like 12 years well, now. Oh, you've got to shake it up a bit. You yeah, know? I'm glad you have. All right, tell me. I'm all, all right. ears. Well, Twansday Smiggins is an investigative reporter. Mm-hmm. Well, he used to be, but then they wanted him to write listicles because no one does investigative journalism these days. And oh, he refuses tell that to. to Ronan Farrow. Oh, yeah, that's right. Listicles about sexual assault. I get it. Yeah. Well, he lives under a bridge with a twerd nurkler who is a Polish doctor. And, Why is he um, Polish? Well, his name is Polish, but he could never pronounce it right Twansday, so he just calls him Twerd Nurkler. And he's By the a, way, I have the answer for you, and because a, he was born in Poland. Yeah, and he was a mute. He's a mute, and he can't speak, the Polish doctor, so he can't pronounce his name right, so he calls him Twerd Nurkler. And okay. anyway, they get into adventures and shit, and sometimes they solve mysteries and solve crimes. Okay, have you been eating the mushrooms that grow in your front yard again? But and th- do you have any left? Because I'd really like some. Well, the thing is, most of the murders they're committing themselves. And oh, then, and then so they, it's like Murder, She Wrote, where the, they just frame people for the murders they uh, committed. And, they, and then they frame them. Oh. That's my children's book. What do you think? I think that you will teach the, the generations of the future some really good life skills if you go ahead with that. <laughs> um, so anyone no. listening from, like, I don't know, Amazon, Penguin yeah. Publishing... Anyone like that. Pendant Publishing, that's yeah. where Elaine from Seinfeld worked. Um, Barney has a very good book idea. Yeah. and there's Copyright some, there's 2019. A, there's a lot of white slavery in it and um, sex trafficking because that's what the kids are into. I don't know. Oh, you know we're going to get in trouble for that because we get in trouble for everything, yeah. even the things that we don't do or say. <laughs> Getting in trouble for everything, making friends every single day. Hey, Laszlo did not annoy us today. You know why? It's because it's hot as balls and he's stretched out so long. He's like five metres long now. Yeah, like seriously, he's almost a Tara long and he's still a kitten. And he's so long. And yeah, um, is he going to stretch back? Is it like Stretch Armstrong? Like, Or oh, is he yeah. just going to stay? No, like, no. like he looks like a fucking eel right like now, Like it's man. way past his dinner time and he hasn't asked for it yet. <laughs> stomach is currently three meters long and very thin i tried to turn things on when i got uh, got, got up this morning you do have trouble turning things on no i mean the tally and in the, te- the television and did you touch and yourself because that's normally and nothing how you do worked it. because that boy ran around the house and just fucked shit up last night and mm-hmm. everything was unplugged and I couldn't find my Hang keyboard. Hang on, you told me that he put your keyboard up on a shelf, and I'm calling bullshit on that. Well, I don't know how it got up there. It wasn't because a small fucking kitten climbed some shelves with it in a backpack. Hey, cool. I'll tell you that much. Hey, have you, have you seen him with a grappling hook? He knows how to use one. I saw him with a chainsaw earlier, and I was pretty impressed. Yeah, I really need to take that off him. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure that's okay for a kitten. Yeah. But then again, I mean, boys will be boys. He does chase his tail. Maybe he's trying to (gasps) fuck himself. He's just trying to fuck himself and then he gets really tired, like the rest of us. Oh, the rest of us. Mm -hmm. Let's go and get drunk now. Okay, that sounds good. Okay. Um, So have you, like, checked that my levels are fucking shit and all that? Yeah, yeah, they're the shit. They're the shit. They're the tits. They're the the Woody Harrelson of levels. Oh, my God. So they're the tits? Yeah, the tits. Excellent. I I, I like that. Everyone likes tits. 
Who doesn't like tits? Oh, that's going in. <laughs> I'm recording, uh, you, by the you way. You know you can't. You know you can't. I know you're a cunt. You probably will, but you can't. Maybe she just put it in a salt shaker or something, you know, because salt goes in everything, tea. really. Cups of tea. Oh, yeah. Oh, you can't drink a cup of tea without a lot of salt. And oh, I will yeah. not eat any sponge cake unless it's covered in a, a thick layer of salt. What about you? My friend... Uh, Dave made me a coffee once and he said, you want some sugar? And I said, yeah. And he said, it's over there. And I grabbed this thing and I, I sprinkled some sugar in it and it was salt and it did not taste very nice. Right. And then did Dave laugh? Did he do it on purpose? No, no. I, I did it to myself. Right. It, it, well, I blamed poorly labelling of jars, of, of, of shakers. The poor labelling of jar shakers? Yeah. Did it look like a salt shaker? Well... No. Have you ever seen sugar in a salt shaker? I don't know. All right, it was my so, fault, was but it, it tasted salt, shit. Was and it actually just me. a salt shaker that you put in your... <laughs> okay. I like that you rub your boobs when you get nervous. It ah. makes me happy. Oh. Ah. My nana went a bit in the head at the end there. and. Um, oh, really? Yeah, and she and she asked people for a cigarette and, and, and they'd say, look, you gave up smoking like 40 years ago. And she said, no, I didn't. I still smoke. What are you talking about? And and eventually my uncles would just say, oh, here you go. Have a cigarette. Well, I mean, she was like, you know, 85. It's yeah. not going to hurt her now. Um, yeah. My grandmother actually continued smoking up until near her death and she lived into her 80s. But um, one time she was coming back from the hospital um, after an operation in the car and she, she was really like out of it on the meds. And um, she was talking about how her purse had broken and she was trying to sew together her cardigan with a cigarette. Trying wow. to, like, use it to sew. And she's, oh, I can't believe my purse is broken. And, yeah, just, like, smooshing a cigarette all over her cardigan buttonholes trying to sew it up. Dementia's awful. She didn't have dementia. It oh, was really? she, Yeah, no, um, she, she was never just, got dementia. Oh, right, she's just having a senior moment. Uh, well, it was uh, because of the um, the drugs she'd been given for her operation. Right. Oh, no, she stayed entirely down to earth up until her last day. But um, she ended up having having to be in a nursing home because her bones were frail and she broke her hip a few times. Yeah. And um, the woman in, in her room... Um, was entirely stuck in this moment of Alzheimer's where she was getting ready to go on a date with who ended up, the guy who ended up being her husband and then she went on the date and they went to a dance and it was the most wonderful time. Like if you're going to get dementia, Aww, live in your best day ever. This beautiful. woman just lived in her best day ever and that was her dementia. It's not normally how that plays out. No, it really isn't. Yeah, it no. really isn't. But um, But this woman was like, that was it. Oh. All day, every day was that day. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, it really, it was really cool. And my grandma was sitting there like entirely sane, hating everything because, you know, you would. Yeah. Worked very hard on that. Did Are you? Are we on? Yeah, you worked very hard on I that, did, did work you? very hard on it. The problem is sometimes the harder I work on things, the worse they are, and it's better if I'm just loose and full of juice about it all. <laughs> are you loose and full of juice, Barney? Oh, absolutely, Tara. <laughs> well, I hope you keep that mm. juice inside. I prefer inside juice from you, mister. Well, let's slip out of these wet clothes and into a dry martini. Uh, okay, minimum eight, though, dry martinis. Uh, <laughs> Patty and Jimmy Kinnear first ran afoul of the law in 1887 when they. Patty and Jimmy hey Kinnear. Hey now, you're a horse stuffer. Get your game on. Go steal. Uh, it's for the outtakes. Really? It's for the outtakes, is it? Isn't the outtake stuff meant to be funny? 
Yeah, but you know, you get what you're fucking giving. Shut oh, your really? stupid mouth and get on with it. Really? Is it like that? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's got to be like something and I have nothing else right now. Both the brothers were well-known horse duffers. I read that already. I'll, I'll say it again. Maybe you didn't want it to be fucked up by me with my fucky little opinions and my fuck shit. <laughs> oh, that's a bit sweary. Oh, that's unlikely. sorry. I mean... um. Perhaps you did not want it to be interrupted by me with my sweet little inklings and my gorgeous thoughts. <laughs> Was that better? Oh, that made me feel sick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mission accomplished. So they stole three of the racehorses. So they stole three of the racehorses. Hearses. They stole some hearses? They stole some dugongs. What are they worth? Oh, dugongs. I love dugongs. And they rode off into the ocean, munching on undersea grass. Yum. Delicious. Do you have any of that? They soon drowned. Yeah, but uh, they were happy about it, and it was a good ending to the story. Uh, I I really liked that story. It was good. It's really hot. I would like to be lost at sea. Yeah. (laughs) Would you actually like to be lost at sea, though? Because that's not good. Uh, hang on, wait. Are you lost at sea on a boat with heaps of food and water and beer? Sounds great. Well, yeah, that'd be okay. But, mm. I mean, generally when people are lost at sea, it's like you they have... don't talk about it as though it was fun. But there's always one bad thing, like you can only listen to Smash Mouth. Come on. Smash Mouth had a good song once. After his father's, after his father's later death, a year later. Also, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're going to ask me what I think he died of. Yeah, I can't believe I wrote that. I, it, does it actually say that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, say it again. After his father's drowning, death drowning After a year later. After his father's drowning. later death a year later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That was amazing. I wish all of it was written like oh, that. Oh, yeah. It'd be like 12 pages. Uh, I, I don't regret my three years of school. <laughs> I didn't realise you went for three whole years. Oh, no, not three whole years. Just the summers, I went a couple of days for three years. (laughs) After his father's... Give me back, (laughs) Prina... Give me back, Prina... Give it back. The finest ones available to humanity. I want them here and I want them now. I want them now. Neil Brisbane to a timber getter... You said Brisbane. At Mogil, Neil Brisbane... (laughs) Near... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, I cackled like a witch, okay? Is yeah. that unusual? No, it isn't. <laughs> Fuck, it's hot here. It's really fucking hot. Really humid. Sweat moustaches all round. You're burping yourself, champ. Uh-oh. It worked. Telling you, if you need to burp and you tap yourself on your chest, you can burp yourself. You can. Also, it kind of doesn't sound like, sounds like something worse. What, fapping? Uh, it sounds like a meeting with Louis C.K. Well, this is 1902. The, the Fat Brothers were around at the same oh, time. Oh, God, I miss those guys. Do you, though? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Thank you. The end. The end. Capital punishment. Capital. <laughs> of ca- of- Barney doesn't actually speak English. Um, he, he's he's uh, he's from Denmark, and um, everything that he says is just from me coaching him. He knows how to do sounds, but he doesn't know the meaning. Oh, that's it. Sorry. Yeah, well, I mean, it's right to shut the door because remember that time there was a duck. Totally came through. It was actually a crow, but I know you've got a fear for ducks. I know you're about to 
launch yourself under the stairs because you thought they were going to kill oh, you. Oh, because I had a fever dream when I was three about a duck eating my blanket. And I'm still frightened now. Do I have any ducks? No, I do not. Are they in a row? <laughs> Hell no. What are you doing? What are you doing? Put your headphones on. Ah. So it looks like it's just me on the podcast now, guys. Sorry, all those Barney fans. Yeah, well, sorry. We apologise to both of you. Yeah, yeah. Also, he's back now. So oh, I'm both, back now. Both of them are happy. It's just one person. They have a split personality. Come at me. Um, they both said. Did they? Yeah. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.